Well, you ready to get in the word tonight? I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Imagine that. We're going to start in verse 22. We're talking about how to win every faith battle that you're in. But let's go ahead and define that. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, it says this. Now, the background of this story, as you know, Jesus was going. They were coming from Bethany. They were walking into Jerusalem, or they were going towards Jerusalem, and he sees a fig tree afar off. It has leaves on it. In that area, those fig trees, what happens is the fig forms first, and then the leaf forms. So if a fig tree has leaves, it should have figs on it, right? So Jesus is thinking, I'm going to have figs for breakfast. He walks up to the tree, and there are no figs. And the Bible says he answers the tree. So now you got to understand that. If you, it, it's a wonderful study. I would encourage you to do it. If you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the ministry of Jesus and study every time it says, and he answered. Either he's answering circumstances, people, whatever. It, it says it a lot. It's amazing. Jesus, as he lived on this earth, as an example to us, he answered all the circumstances of his life immediately and accurately with the word of God. He never allowed lack in his life, showing us that we should never allow lack in our life. If you're in lack tonight, it has no legal right in your life. Jesus was made a curse. He bore the curse of the law, the fact that part of that curse was poverty and lack, so that you wouldn't have to bear it so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon you. So lack has to do nothing, has nothing to do with your life. So all of a sudden, this tree is saying to him, what? You're not eating breakfast this morning. So Jesus, it says he answers the tree, and he says that no man will ever eat fruit from you ever again. He cursed the fig tree, and his disciples heard it. So part of faith, you know, sometimes you're going to have to take your faith public, and you're going to have to, you'll be prompted to say things in front of people and, and get that look that, that people give you, right? You're one of those. Yes, thank you, I am. Yes, I, I am one of those faith guys, aren't you, right? Because to be a faith guy means you please God because that's the only way you can, right? So he curses the fig tree. And they go into Jerusalem, they do their thing, they come back that evening, no doubt all those disciples were looking at that tree, but obviously nothing happened to the tree by the end of that day, right? They go back to Bethany, they spend the night, they get up the next morning, they're walking into, Jerus or walking into Jerusalem again from Bethany, and Peter sees the tree, and it was dried up from the root, which means that the tree within a little over 24 hours, or about 24 hours, literally is dead. Now, if you cut a tree down and laid it on the ground, it'd still have green leaves, everything, right? But not this tree. It was literally dried up from the root. And then Peter called that to Jesus' attention, and then it says here, now, this is what happened. So when Peter says, Lord, the tree that you cursed is dried up from the root... It doesn't say in verse 22 that Jesus answered Peter. It says, and Jesus answering them. 
So Peter was the mouthpiece, but all of his disciples were going, wow, they were kind of blown away. But did you know, it doesn't say anything about Jesus being blown away. Why was he not surprised? Well, because he was in faith. See, when you're in faith, you are fully persuaded that it's done before you see anything. Okay? So now, Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. This could be translated this way, have faith in God. You could translate it just as easy in the Greek, have the faith of God. You could translate it, have the faith that God has. We say this, you could say it this way, have the God kind of faith. So he's answering them. No doubt they were probably saying, how did you do that? Right? And he's saying, he answered them and he says, hey, all of you guys, have the God kind of faith. And now in verse 23, he is going to explain, the, it's one of the greatest, most concise descriptions of the operation of faith. And this is, this is in verse 23, he talks about faith by saying. In verse 24, he's going to talk about the same thing, but except faith by praying. Okay, so he's, he's talking about the same thing, but he spends two verses talking about two different ways up the same mountain. But he says in verse 23, for verily I say unto you, this word verily is very strong in the Greek. It means, now listen, get this, most assuredly, it means this is the way it is. Verily I say unto you that whosoever... Isn't that cool that the God kind of faith, Jesus is saying, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, what does the mountain represent? It represents something that's trying to block you from something in life. The fig tree was without figs. It was trying to keep Jesus from eating breakfast. Whatever mountain is in your life, what is it in your life that is stopping you? Is sickness or disease... Is, is poverty or lack, is, is some kind of emotional problem or mental issue or depression, is your past, what, what is it? Are people trying to stop you? Then it's like a type of that mountain. Jesus says, for who, whosoever, so the faith of God is for whosoever. Know this about God, he is no respecter of persons. He wants everybody to walk in his faith. He wants everybody to be saved, right? So he says, for whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart. That's the big part right there. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So here's the thing, you have to believe in your heart what you are saying in order for it to come to pass. Now we know that faith comes, Romans 10, 17, by hearing God's word, right? So, so it talks about saying three times in that verse. It talks about believing once. So think about that. 
What do you think, if you're talking about with everything else we know about faith, you have to speak God's word. Faith only comes, and faith is of your heart, it only comes when you hear God's word. So you can't just have faith for something that you make up, right? It's got to be, you have to have God's word on it. Now we're talking about how to fight how to win every faith battle, we're talking about right now knowing your enemy. Next week we're going to get into, I believe, this was to be one week on know your enemy. This is week four. But I'm believing God that next week we're going to talk about how to secure the promises of God for what you're believing for. If you're praying and you're believing, if, if you can't answer a question, where give me two to three scriptures that promise you in God's word what you're believing God for. If you can't do that, you're not in faith. You're just mentally assenting and hoping it works out. But if you have the word of God on it, you will speak to that mountain. You won't doubt in your heart, but you'll believe that what you say will come to pass. Why? Because of you? Nope. This is talking about the faith of God. So you believe when you speak in line with God's word that Jesus, as Jeremiah says, is watching over his word to perform it. He will perform it. Then he goes on in verse 24. Now, now realize verse 23 again, faith by saying, or you could say it this way, faith against something. There's a mountain, it needs to get out of your way. Right? If it's, it could be the flu, it could be a sinus infection, it could be cancer, it could, whatever, whatever that is. It could be financial loss where you need money whatever it is something speaking to you have you noticed that all those circumstances speak to you if you don't have money right does that talk to you once in a while all the time doesn't it you got to answer it because if you answer it it'll shut up now it'll come back but you keep you just keep saying because it's satan's kingdom is a paper kingdom you're made to dominate in this earth you're a child of god God wants to walk with you. He wants you to walk, or I should say it this way correctly, he wants you to walk with him and in him, right? So now, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says this. So he talked about faith against something. Now he's going to talk about how faith works to receive something or faith by praying. He says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever... You desire, well, how do you desire? Well, Psalms, the book of Psalms tells us that delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. John 15, 7 will say this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you will. Well, why? Because your will and his will is conformed to each other. And it'll be done for you. So what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and then you shall have them. When are you to believe that you receive them? When you pray. So think about how cool that is. You can get a promise in God's word that he said, I've already given this to you. And as you hear that, you will believe 
that you receive, it's done then. The minute you believe that you receive, God says you'll have it. So here, the reason why I'm bringing this scripture up right now, this is on page 14 of my notes. Last page of my notes, I'm starting out with this because this is the fight of faith. From the time that you believe that you receive until you see it in this realm because you have it. In between those two points is the fight of faith. And the fight of faith, it's a good fight because you always win. The fight of faith is to stay at rest. Is to cease from your own works, to not try to work it out, but you just work out what God's working in. And, and what'll happen, Satan doesn't really care if you pray and believe that you receive. Now he'll try to keep you from hearing the word. He loves when you don't really hear the word and you're just led by your emotions and then you believe that you receive. Because a little pressure and you let go of it and then you start getting really confused. Why didn't this work out, right? So I'll say this, you've never met anyone. There's never been a human being that's ever lived on the planet who has, who has gotten in faith and stayed in faith that didn't see their answer in their life. You have to know that. Because this is absolutely the truth. So this is talking about faith when you pray. Believe that you receive, and this word receive, it doesn't mean receive like a, somebody throws you something, you receive it. Or somebody hands you something and then you receive. No, it literally means believe that you receive it. It literally means believe that you seize hold of it. Think of it this way. Your faith will reach out of your heart and seize hold of the promise of God that's not seen and bring it into this realm. That's what happens. It's what happened when you got saved, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we were saved by grace. God's grace sent him to the cross for you. We received it through faith. Does that make sense? So this is a big one, and then I'll finish up. So this is the, this is the fight of faith that we're talking about. Because as soon as you say amen, as soon as you say, I believe that I receive, Father, I thank you, it's mine, I have it now, you get up and all of a sudden, thoughts start hitting your head. How is that going to happen? Sure, surely God, are, are you kidding? Come on, you've been believing God for some things that have never come to pass. It'll get to the point where it's like, who do you think you are? Do you just think, and, and if that's not enough, if those thoughts aren't enough, the enemy will bring good people in your life that don't even know they're being used by him, and they'll be like, who do you, who do you think you are? Right? That's when it all starts, but if you'll hold on, hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering, why? Because he's faithful. Everything that he's promised you is based on his love for you and your relationship with him. Isn't that good news? The Bible says his whole word is forever settled in heaven. It is not up for debate. It is, it is final. Yeah, but you don't understand the facts of my life. I don't have to. I understand that truth from God's word changes the facts of life. No matter what. And it's never too late. J. Iris secured the promise of God. 
And right then, Jesus said, Jairus comes up to him and says, Lord, if you, my daughter's almost dead. You got to come to my house. He's like, yep, I'll come. As soon as he starts coming, this woman with the issue of blood messes the whole thing up. And, and he, you know, power goes out of Jesus. She gets healed. She comes, you know, being like a lot of ladies are, tells him all the truth, you know. Could you imagine? She's testifying. Yeah, you know, well, when I was born, I ate this kind of baby food in Israel. It's falafel, right? You know, or whatever. No, and, and, and you can imagine Jay Iris is sitting there going, we don't have time for this. Come on. And then while it's happening, this servant comes up from Jairus' house and says, hey, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. Have you ever had anything dead in your life? God can bring it back to life. Proverbs eleven thirty two. what does it say? It's 31 or 32. It says in Proverbs 11, either 31 or 32, that the righteous shall be recompensed, repaid, while they're alive in the earth. The enemy's got to bring everything back he stole from you. If he stole your health, yeah, but you don't understand, man, I did a lot of drugs. I have just fried my liver. I fried my brain. That's okay. He's got new ones. Here's the thing. When God heals, there is no scar. He makes all things new. It's so cool. So, so here's Jesus. He turns to Jairus and he says to him, only believe. Don't get in the fear, Jairus. Only believe. You imagine the fight of faith as Jairus is walking home. I mean, well, maybe she's not dead yet. Maybe they're wrong. Well, no, there's no way. Do you know how many people Jesus had raised from the dead before that happened in his ministry? None. So he had, he had no, no proof that God would raise other than just Jesus said, I'll come to your house. One, one translation, or I'm sorry, one of the stories in the Gospels of that story says, don't fear Jairus, only believe. Only believe. Don't let go of your belief. Now, Jairus just saw a miracle, because guess what? Jairus is probably the leader in the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue that pronounced that lady unclean 12 years earlier. So when he just saw that, so that's awesome. See, so the fight of faith, the fight of faith, the reason why that that little girl of Jairus's was raised from the dead is because Jairus had secured the promise of God. He had God's word on it, and he never let it go. In the same way that what you're facing tonight, whatever you're believing God for, the enemy will try to talk you out of it. He'll come and he'll do all that, but he's all, it's all, the Bible says he's a liar and the truth is not in him. But here's the thing. We read that and we think, well, he's a liar, so he only tells lies. But that's not true. We'll see that tonight. I'm going to show you that. When he came to Jesus to tempt him, he, he quoted scripture. But when Satan says something that's not a lie, because he's a liar, he's still trying to manipulate and deceive. So all that he says is trying to lead you into not believing you have what God says you, that God says he's given you, lead you to believe that God really is not with you and that you're not good enough. You see this over and over again. Now, I don't want to leave this. I, this, as I was typing this out today, I just thought, you know, I got to read verse 25 
of Mark chapter 11 because this is so important. It was so important that in the operation of faith, this is the one thing that Jesus mentioned. He said, and when you stand praying, forgive. I'm telling you, unforgiveness or having ought, which that word literally means anything, against anyone is keeping people out of faith because faith works by love. He says, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught or have anything against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So walking in love, walking in forgiveness is a big part of this because faith works by love. So we've been talking about knowing your enemy. We have to, to, to win every faith battle. We have to know, first of all, who he is, right? We know he's the destroyer. We call him the devil. We call him Satan. He's got principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places, right? He's got demons. He's got, it's a satanic hierarchy that has been completely stripped of all their power and authority, but they are master deceivers, masters, right? The spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, if you study this out, it's like, it's like they're the special forces guys. It's a military term that would talk about they were, they were trained, they were the best of the best, and they were trained in one specific thing. So that you've got a, you've got a spiritual wickedness in heavenly places is a master deceiver to get people to commit suicide. There's another one that's a master deceiver to get people to di get divorced. Master deceiver to get people to, 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 to kill people with diabetes or cancer or whatever. And they'll keep coming with thoughts because they can't kill you with it. They got to get you to say yes. They got to get you to believe. Well, we don't believe anything the enemy says, do we? Amen? So we have to know our enemy we got to know who's stirring up trouble, but we also have to know how he operates. And the Bible doesn't say a lot about him, but it says, it tells us everything about how he operates. We know this, he, he, the wiles of the devil, he comes down one road, one way against all of us. His name, literally, our adversary, the devil, means our adversary, he hates the righteous. The devil means it's diabolos, Dia means he's trying to penetrate through something. We know that is your mind. We've talked a lot about this. Want to encourage you? Go back and listen to the last three teachings on Wednesday night. Outline them because you could help people with them as, as it becomes yours. He's trying to penetrate through your mind. How does he do it? By throwing something over and over and over at you. We understand that very clearly from the word of God that he throws thoughts that are contrary to the word of God over and over and over to try to get to penetrate your mind so that he can remember the Greek word noemata so that he could play mind games and mind schemes and make it real confusing. Pretty soon you don't know who you are. You don't know if God really loves you, if he's even there. And you, you, know, you think you messed it all up when none of that is true. So we know how he comes. The one road Satan travels is he brings circumstances into your life to get you to doubt. Doubt what? To doubt that what God said is really true. 
It's the one road he travels against all of us. Satan brings thoughts to get you to doubt what you said you believed that you received. Does that make sense? So this is big. Everything, everything that the enemy does creates doubt. It creates doubt and it deceives. Everything. You could say it this way. Everything that has its origin that creates doubt or deception, the origin of it is Satan. That's what he does. He's trying to create doubt. The biggest battle in our mind is against the doubts and the preconceived notions, or you could say it this way, the vain imaginations of this, that the word of God just doesn't work. Why do people not read their Bible? Why do they really not pray? Why do they not come to church and, and obey the word of God? At the end of the day, all the circumstances in their life have led them to believe that this just really isn't true. And I'll tell you, here's the thing. As you start feeding on the word of God, it's like the light gets turned up in your life and all of a sudden, you see life the way it really is. You see that God's not out to get you. God's out to bless you and help you. He doesn't get mad at you. He doesn't get down on what you do. He tries to get you with his goodness. The goodness of God will lead you to change your mind and run after him. We got people out there because nobody is around them to encourage them thinking that I'm mad at you, God, because of some loss in their life when all the time it wasn't God, it was the enemy. But we're going to dispel all those lies with the word of God. Satan drops thoughts from the outside into your mind in an attempt. He wants to create, he wants to plant, and he wants to nurture wrong thoughts. He wants to penetrate your mind with those wrong thoughts. Because if he penetrates your mind, he can control your emotions, which is what drives you. And then all of a sudden, he could control your destiny because you'll speak your way into death, right? Because he understands that life and death is in the power of the tongue. He knows if he could control your mind, then he has control of your emotions. So we're going to stay away from that, right? Doubt and deception always happen the moment you don't know that God's word is true. The moment that you buy into his lies and, and, and when what he's saying, that's where doubt and deception come from. But we said this last week, we said that fellowshipping with God through meditating in his word, right? Spending time with him in prayer, following the guidelines that he's laid out for a child of God to walk, we walk amongst each other, right? We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We come together. We put the word of God first. We walk in love. We walk by, by the faith of God. We walk in the love of God. And we're led by the spirit of God. And as we do these things, we become very sensitive so that we can discern these thoughts that come into our mind. I, 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 I don't know how else to say that. As I grow in the Lord, I become so sensitive when he throws a thought, when the enemy throws a thought at me in my mind that's contrary to the word, it's like, ooh, 
No. And, and I'm telling you, every time when you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, because you're living out of your spirit, you're not living out of your flesh. I'm not living by what I see on the outside. I'm not moved by what I see out here. I'm moved by the inside. So now, every time a thought comes, the, the Holy Spirit of God, he brings up, he brings the word out of my spirit, and I speak it, and it disp- takes, the word, it takes that, that lie captive, and that's how we walk in freedom right? So this is what we're talking about. Now I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 3 because I want to look at a couple examples. We're going to look at the Garden of Eden. We're going to look at the fall of man. I want you to see this pattern because I want you to understand very clearly how Satan works. And and I'd like to tell you, you're not going to be tested on this material, but you probably are going to be tested tomorrow morning. Maybe even tonight. Most likely, you know, the lights go down, whatever, right? The enemy's going to come. Well, kick him out of your house and get a good night's sleep. Because remember, you're not trying to get God to do something for you. He's already done it. It's not a matter of him doing it. He did it, and he wants you to have it. It's a matter of you simply just receiving it. So we're teaching you how to do that. It says in Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent... It's interesting, in the ancient Hebrew language, uh, as you study this word serpent, you know, I'm not thoroughly convinced that, that Satan was a snake. Because this, this Hebrew word deals with one who puts thoughts in the mind. That's what this word, part of this word means. It's real interesting. You know, Eve wasn't surprised when she saw Satan. Whoa, what are you doing here? right? She wasn't surprised, like, oh my gosh, a snake just talked. So I'm not so sure he looked like a snake, right? But this part of this word, it it talks about one who deals with or puts thoughts in the mind. But whether he was or whether he's not, we can see how he works here. So let's, let's go on. Now the serpent was more subtle, that means he was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He's like, hey, Eve, did God say that you couldn't eat of every tree of the garden? Isn't that interesting? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. It's real interesting. The word die, it's the same word that God used with Adam. He said, listen, of all these trees you can eat, but don't eat this one. He didn't say he couldn't touch it. He said, don't eat this one. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. It's the same Hebrew word. It means in dying, you shall die. We know that Adam did not die the day that he ate the fruit physically. He lived 930 years after he ate that fruit. But he died spiritually. He died spiritually. It took took the curse of death and sin 930 years to kill him physically. But in dying you shall die. So that's what Eve was saying. Notice the first thing. He comes to the woman. Yea, hath God said that you can eat of every tree of the garden? He comes with a question right? 
Satan always questions you and all of his questions will lead you to doubt God. Every one of them. This is not a real complex teaching. It's real simple how he comes. But he knows how to ignite your flesh. It says here, so the woman answers him, verse 4 now, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall surely not die. See, it doesn't take Satan long before he's saying, well, wait a minute, no, that's not true. In other words, God's word is not true, Eve. You shall not surely die. Could you imagine Satan filling in some more blanks? Come on, Eve. What, 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 is, what does that mean? Have you ever seen death? Come on. Seriously? Surely. Here, here's, a, here's a 2018 version. Oh, oh, stage four cancer? Surely God can't heal that. Come on, I mean, think about it. There's people every day in Omaha, Nebraska dying of stage four cancer. It's the same exact thing. Do you see that? He's always going to come against and he's going to say, surely what God said is not true. He's going to come at you and come at me, all of us the same. He did it right here. And then he says this. Now, this is the master deceiver. Verse 5, for Eve, God knows that in the day that you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. This is another thing that's really funny. God already said, I've made you in my image and in my likeness. Adam was small, small g, God of this world. See, so, so what, what does Satan try to do? He'll try to tell you that you don't have something that you already have. He'll tell you, look at your body. Look at all these symptoms. You got educated doctors that are telling you, you got this and you got that and you got this. And, and you're telling me that just because some book that was written thousands of years ago? You're telling me you're healed? Well, that's what God says. You're telling me, I mean, your life is a disaster, and you're saying that you're blessed? Come on. You can't even make your rent, and you're saying you're blessed? Well, my Bible says I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. My Bible says he's given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life, that's a big one. Because you know in Philippians 4 where he says he'll meet all your needs according to his riches and glory? Do you know he has to? Because Jesus didn't come to give you a naturally good life. He came to give you the God kind of life. See, do you see the same thing? Satan tries to tell you that you aren't who God made you. He's trying to reason you out of everything that is already yours. You got, if you don't get anything else, get that tonight. 
I mean, no matter what God's called you to do. If you're in high school, God's called you to be at the top. If you're in college, he's called you to be at the top. He's given you the Holy Spirit so that you will always know. He's given you the word of God so that you'll always know your next step. You'll be able to see your path. You'll be able to know it. You'll be able to do things beyond your ability. See, he said, you'll be as God's knowing good and evil. Do you know man was never made to know evil? He was only made to know good. So now, you see that a little bit of a pattern. Now go to Matthew chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1. We're going to look at the first 10 verses here. This is the temptation of Jesus. God didn't place me in the ministry to make something of me. He didn't place you in the ministry to make something of you. We're in this world to make something of others. And Satan will try to tell you that you aren't who you are. He'll try to tell you that you don't have what God says he's given you. He'll try to tell you that God's mad at you and he left you and you're not enough. And there's no way you can do this. And man, you should just go, thank you. Because you're, the truth's not in you. He can't speak the truth. He can't tell you you're blessed. Because he can't speak the truth. God can't lie, so he can't tell you that you're not blessed. Say law. That's a good one. So let's go. Do you guys find Matthew chapter 4, verse 1? I love it. Verse 1, here's Jesus. He comes down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptized him, right? So uh, Jesus comes out of the water. The Bible says that the, oh, the Holy Spirit of God, as, as a dove, he wasn't a dove, but as a dove, rests upon Jesus, and, and his father says, you're my son, and I'm very pleased with you. Right after that, as he comes out, now the Holy Spirit leads him up in the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says he leads him up in the wilderness. Verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Why? Have you ever talked to somebody and they're like this? Well, I'm just, I'm in the, I'm in the wilderness. And they're all sad and they're, well, wait a minute, if you're in the wilderness, you're be being filled. The Bible said when Jesus was on his way down from the wilderness after that 40-day thing, the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit. And it's a great Greek word because it's progressive. It's like every step he took, it was growing. It was just growing in him and growing. And then he tells the church, you be being filled. So his father sent him in the wilderness because he wanted to deposit a whole bunch of things in him. He had been preparing for 30 years. He prepared 30 years for three years of ministry. The Lord showed me that years ago. That's why I work on myself 10 times more than what I do in ministry. I work on myself 10 times. That's why I don't have time to think about what you need to do. 
The Word will tell you what to do. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to do, right? If you're late to church, I don't notice it. If you leave in the middle of church, I don't notice it. If you're not in church, I'll pray for you, but I'm not going to let that. I, you, for years, it bug, bugged me. How can I help them? How, no, no, it's not my job. I'm supposed to love you, live my life in front of you, and feed you if you want it. But, but I also am supposed to pray for you, which makes so much power available that, you know, you'll be out there wanting to do your own thing and be like, some of you, you know, I just can't get Pastor Tony out of my ear. It's because you listen to too many messages, right? It's I'm just messing around now. You go through the wilderness to learn that God is your source. When you learn that God is your source, You'll never, you'll never need, you'll never owe any man anything but to love them. Because you're not looking to them to be your source. And you'll, I mean, this is what Jesus was learning. This prepares you to overcome every obstacle that you will ever face. You'll, you'll, you'll face it all in him. That's what the wilderness does. And what that does is prepares you when you come out of the wilderness, which is, it's only supposed to be a little, little time. Have you ever noticed, those of you who've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it seems like just all hell breaks loose in your life. Don't worry about that. See, God's not bringing that. The enemy, he sees something in you that's different, and he's going to try to stop it. That's what happened with Jesus. Do you know when Jesus was growing up, he never had demons falling down in front of him and saying, son of God, why are you here? You know, why did you come judge me before the time? Why? Because when, when he came out of that water and was baptized, when the Holy Spirit came upon him without measure, he looked different. And all of a sudden, all hell went, that is him. Oh man, we're in trouble. Right? So, so this is why he went through the wilderness. Because, see, you go through, you find out God's your source, and now you're positioned for God's abundance. And that's what he wants for you. You know, there's so many Christians that just, they just, they struggle because they don't honor God in their finances. And the only reason why they don't honor God in their finances is because they don't trust him. Because in that arena, he's not their source. And if you, if you just stop playing church and just start feeding on what God says about being your source, all of a sudden, faith would be birthed and you'll step out of the boat and you'll start honoring God and all of a sudden, your whole life will change. Because now, nothing affects you anymore. And now, you're just learning how to walk in relationship with him. This is why in, in our church here, listen, whether you give the most money or whether you give nothing, you get exactly the same pastoral care. Why? Because what you give, is that's between you and God. Does that make sense? I mean, this is why you'll never have me up here begging you to, oh, you got to give or we're just, you like these lights? If you don't give, no, if that ever happens... Just pray for me while you're going. And Pastor, we love you. And we hope you get this right. But in the meantime, I'm just going to be going around looking for a church that preaches the word, okay? But I'll still just, I love you. 
But when I find one, then you won't see me anymore. Won't even hear from me. Right? Why? See, when God's your source, you can't be stopped. Think about your life. Joshua 1.5 says, listen, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. No man will stand before you and block you all the days of your life. Think about that. That's awesome. You have no rival. You have no competition. Right? You got to get away from all that. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, we know medical science tells us that after about the first three days of fasting... Man, hunger goes away, but on that 40th day, you've depleted every system in your body, and a starvation hunger comes back, because if you don't eat, you'll die. So this is what he said. Jesus wasn't just like, man, I think I'm going to run through the drive-thru and get a burger. I'm a little hungry. No, this was, I have got to eat right now. i got to get out of the wilderness. It's about four miles, maybe two and a half to four miles to Jericho. I need to have me a falafel, because wow, I am really hungry, right? He's starving. Verse 3, and, and when the tempter came to him, now this is really interesting because you got to get this. How did he come? Physically? Well, we see from the Greek wording in a lot of this, he came in his thoughts. We know this because Jesus was tempted just like you and I. The tempter came to him and said, if you be the Son of God, now remember, we're trying to know our enemy here. If you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Could Jesus have made bread out of stones? If he couldn't, then it wasn't a temptation. So he could, and he was starving. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we better, because these 10 verses lay out how Jesus was tempted. You can see how he's going to come against you. First of all, what did he do? The first thing he did, if you be the Son of God. He came at Jesus and was questioning his identity. Right? Who do you think you are? If you be the Son of God. If you be the Son of God, prove it to me. I know you're starving. You're really hungry. Prove it. If you're the Son of God, you'll be able to say to those stones. So here's Jesus... He was tempting Jesus. He was trying to get him to consider himself and then speak out of what he wanted instead of speaking out of what God told him to speak. Remember when Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. Satan came against his identity so to try to get him to consider himself, look how hungry you are. Prove it to me. Speak out of your flesh. He's trying to get him. In the same way, he'll be like, come on, you're hurting. You have nothing. This is not working. What that preacher, that good-looking young preacher at that church Really good-looking, smart, 
He's not right. I'm just messing around. That's what he does. He tries to get you. Come on, Jake. You come on. You know who you are. Are you really a child of God? Then why why are the circumstances of your life not right? Now, here's the thing. You could have just had a miracle just come in your life today, and that afternoon, he'll still come. You know this never works. You feel feel like going with Satan. It just, no, no, he knows if he could could get you to consider yourself, you get blind. Because we are not to consider ourselves. So see that. Verse 4, but Jesus answered. Jesus always answers immediately and accurately according to the word of God. And said, it is written. And now he's going to quote Deuteronomy 8.3. If the Son of God has to use the word against Satan, you will always have to use the word against Satan. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread only, but man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Isn't that interesting? He's going, Satan, I am not going to consider myself. I am the son of God, and I only say what my father tells me to say. Notice how he answered that. Verse 5, then the devil takes him. Now, this is, this is how we know this thought thing. This word taketh, it literally means to take by analogy. It literally is talking about he took him in his thought life. He took him up into the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. For years, I mean, do you see? If you get religious, what? So God's will, after, he, he, after Jesus was baptized, God's will was that he be led up in the, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's, so in the wilderness was where God's will was for Jesus' life. Do you really think that Satan has the power to grab his body and take him to the pinnacle of a temple in Jerusalem, which is not where God wanted him to be, his father wanted him to be? I don't think so. You don't have to worry about, I mean, you know, Satan's not going to come to you, and all of a sudden you're like standing on this little piece of styrofoam in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and he's laughing at you. That, that can't happen. He doesn't have that power, Right? Now, I know we're laughing, but people really think he has power. Because he's he's great at tooting his own horn. So he takes him in his thoughts up to the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down. And then Satan's not stupid. Look at what Satan does. Now he's going to quote Psalm 91. He's going to quote verse 11 and 12. He says, for it is written... He'll give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they'll bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He knew Jesus would have knew that scripture. Isn't that interesting? He's trying to get Jesus in the pride. In his thought life, he's going, come on. People will look at you as you float down from that pinnacle with angels John 8, says that Satan is a liar and the truth is not in him. He can speak truth, 
He can, he can quote a Bible verse, but he's doing it to try to deceive. So he twists it. So that's why as you fill your heart with the word, you'll always know it's Satan. Satan was trying to get Jesus to consider himself to get him to be in pride as people would see him do this great feat of coming down from a temple. But Jesus, in verse 7, said unto him, again, it is written. Now he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6.16. Thou shalt not tempt. And now he's going to answer the first question. I love the way God is. If you be the son of God. He answers, it is also written, Satan, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So what he's saying is, Satan, I know who I am. How, what does that look like in our life? Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus because I'm his child. And he said to me, whatever I bind on earth, my father will bind it in heaven. Right? This is how we live, guys. Verse 8, again, the devil takes him, in his, again in his thought life, up to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and says unto him, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And you're probably sitting there going, okay, what does that have to do with me? The kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God. God sent Jesus to this earth. The Bible, it's prophesied in Isaiah, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, which means that the kingdoms, the earth, everything in it is his. But Satan's like, but listen, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give it all to you now. Just do it my way, Jesus. Don't do it. I mean, your father's way is that you're going to have to live here. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be, you're going to be crucified. And you're going to be separated from God and, and for at least three hours. And all the sin and the curse is going to have to put on you in order for you to have that. He's going to come the same way at you and I. Take shortcuts. Come on. You, I mean, don't go to this faith family church. You actually go to church Wednesday night? Are you kidding me? Go, to, go, go somewhere where they have 20-minute services. You come in, come out, punch your clock. You'll feel great right up until you don't know how to stand. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you've been given. And now you're in trouble. And you're running around at best. Oh, give me a word. Does anybody have a word for me? I got 800,000 words for you. And every one of them will bring life into your life. It is written, it is written, it is written. He was trying to get Jesus to consider himself and take the easy way out. Come on, I just, you know, hey, there's this healing guy going, I'm just gonna run down there. Can you just lay hands on me and get healed? I don't wanna meditate in scripture. I don't wanna put it first. I just wanna be healed. But God knows, listen, he knows. Listen, I don't just want you to walk in to get healed, I want you to walk in divine health because I bore that for you. I don't want you to just get your bills paid. I want you to walk in super abundance where prosperity is not money anymore to you. You realize it's not, what, it's not money, it's who you have. So if you need $10 million and you have zero in the bank, who cares? Because God can provide the $10 million. 
He could take five loaves and two fishes and feed 20,000 people. See, this is what, this is that temptation. But what I want you to see, that you're always going to be tempted. He always will tempt you to do things his way, not your way. The easy way. It's not the easy way. The Bible says that faith is a rest. It says the way of a transgressor is hard. That's the big deception. He'll tell people that don't know God, oh, you don't want anything to do with that Christian life. It's all about a bunch of do's and don'ts. Wow, I've been studying the Bible forever, and the more I study the Bible, the more I realize it's, it has nothing to do about do's and don'ts. It's all about relationship. Verse 10, I love this. Then Jesus said to him, get thee hence. In the Greek it means, <laughs> Jesus said to him, and it literally, it's really loud. This is what Jesus said. He just, third time's charm, he's like, go away. Go away, Satan. I don't care where. Just go. As a matter of fact, I know where. It's a dry place, right? We know that. We learned that from the New Testament. When those demons came out, what do they do? They go to a dry place. Everything in Satan is dry. Go away, Satan, for it is written, he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. When Satan comes to throw thoughts, you have to be ready with the word of God to answer him. Now here's the good news. What does the Holy Spirit do? He shows you things to come. When you, when you put on, allow the word of God to manifest on you, the armor of God, Ephesians 6, you stand against the wiles of the devil, which means that you survey the battlefield, you can see where he's coming. He'll show you things to come. He's your teacher. He, what is else? It says that he brings all things to your remembrance. So listen, there's scriptures in your spirit that you don't even know you knew. But you'll always be ready. You can just, when the enemy comes, don't just let your mouth go. Look down on the inside of you. Tell your emotions. You calm down. Right? I am not afraid. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? You can die. Okay, that'll probably be the most exhilarating feeling a Christian will ever feel the minute we step out of our body. So, so what? You're in the presence of God. It's awesome. But while we're here, man, don't leave this planet a minute early. Don't let the enemy use your tongue. Don't let the enemy have any place in your life. When you, when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, when you resist the devil with the word, he will flee as in terror. Why? Because whoever's born of God, 1 John, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. 